little early, so if I could have your attention as your dessert is coming, uh, we've got to give Rob a ch chance to eat his ice cream before it turns to run. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the notice that's on your table, if you notice the date on the, ba uh, on the bottom, is for next week, uh, two weeks from now. <coughs> <coughs> I, I said to Annalise, the fact that she gave us two weeks away, it just proves that she's normal. Um, the, what's happening next week is very appropriate for the issues that we're dealing with as a community. It's called The Cycle of Addiction and Challenges of the Opioid Crisis, a perspective from an emergency doctor. So it's Dr. Sean wild from um, that has dealing with it um, and Mark Gettles is going to be the moderator so that'll be a very interesting uh, topic next week so um, uh, uh, hope a number of you will uh, will come back for that um, uh, remember we have uh, oh where's the mic oh yeah there's uh, we have a, uh, the Q&A and, and the mic's over there for those of you who are new to the SACPA. I know we have at least one new person. Uh, so welcome to the new people. Uh, uh, the, uh, I wanted to just tell you about the why there's extra tables that nobody's sitting at. Uh, for those of you who know Ray Pettit, he died a week ago and his funeral uh, celebration is today uh, at Martin Brothers at two. But Ray, being a good Legion member and uh, a former fireman, is having a wake. They're having a wake at his request back here at 3 o'clock. So that's why those extra tables are there. And, and Ray, for those of you who know Ray, uh, said he wanted to have a celebration and his friends to have a celebration. And he's going to help that celebration by making available a couple of free drinks on his, on his bill. So uh, that, that's Ray, who's been a very active uh, NDPer over the years when it wasn't an okay thing to do that. Uh, so I haven't got any uh, written questions. Did you get any? Yeah, there are some. I'll go get them. Okay, thank you. Uh, so we'll, we'll use those as we need them. Uh, I see that that Rob has finished his ice cream and Harvey didn't have any, but they both enjoyed their cupcake and they gobbled them down. So thank you for the cupcake maker for, the, for yeah, Angie's, uh, Angie's birthday. So our title, as you, as you remember, is how can, trauma, uh, how can the trauma children experience in high conflict divorce cases be minimized? And we've heard some clear uh, feedback about that. And, and so it'll be interesting for you to go to the mic, and I see Judy's already there. Remember, when you go to the mic, please state your name and your question succinctly, uh, no pontificating. And uh, here's our two speakers back. This man's not on yet. Hello. Oh, that's loud. <laughs> okay. Uh, my name is Judy Shepard. Um, I recently um, had an interaction with a mother 
who is going, who has children, you know, she has children. She's going through a highly conflicted di divorce with a possibly abusive husband. I didn't know either of them, so I couldn't make an assessment. Um, so this is secondhand information for me, so please correct. If it's incorrect, please say so. Um, she told me that under present government policy that there is no um, provision for a government agency to pay for parental or home assessment and that the only way it can be done is if the couple agree on having it done and that they pay for it themselves at the cost of many thousands of dollars through a private agency. Uh, I wonder if you could uh, comment on that and also uh, give us some idea of what the collaborative process might cost a couple. Sure. Um, yeah, what you're, what you're referencing is what's called a bilateral parenting assessment where where you can, where you've got a parenting issue, you're going to hire someone to examine your situation and make a recommendation as to what's the best outcome for the children. Um, unfortunately, you're correct that there's not a subsidized government program, and so to do that, you have to hire someone independently. I typically hire, there's a couple people, one guy originally from Lethbridge is really good, a guy named Larry Fong. Um, very expensive, twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars. Typically takes twelve months to get one done. Um, there's a woman in Medicine Hat, Bonnie Rude Wiseman. Uh, she'd be less expensive, but still probably ten to fifteen thousand um, dollars. I haven't dealt with anyone in Lethbridge, so yes, they're very expensive. Um, in terms of what the collab process can bring to that. Uh, if both parties are committed, um, they can get in the process where we will have a child expert. They're not going to make a recommendation, but what they're going to do, this is what Cindy would have talked about were she here today. Uh, they're going to spend some time with the children, depending on their ages, getting their feedback as to how they're doing. They're not going to put the children on the spot and say, who do you want to live with, because that would be unfair to the kids. But they'll say, how are things, and what do you do with your mom, and what do you do with your dad? And they'll form an impression, and if the children are a little bit older, they'll actually do some testing about the parental bonds and so forth. And then they'll meet with the parents and try to help them fashion something based on their input that might meet with the interests of the children. Um, you mentioned that there's possible abuse going on. That makes things more difficult uh, in collab. Maybe we call it collab shorthand because you have to create a safe environment and parties have to feel comfortable in participating. And sometimes where you have a, if you have a high degree of domestic violence, it can make that difficult, even with professionals, but it's not impossible. So, so the, the collab process, if both parties agreed to it, I think offers a, a high chance of finding resolution in a way that's conducive to the needs of the children. Now sometimes, and I've had this with clients where they'll say, well, I don't want to hire another professional. I can hardly afford my lawyer. So now you want me to hire a child expert. Well, Cindy charges, I think, $200 an hour. I charge $500 an hour. And so the analogy I'll use to my clients is if, if you're driving your car to work today and it breaks down, if you phone me to come help fix your car, I'll come look at it. I don't have a clue. I will charge you $500 an hour to do terrible mechanical work. 
or we'll hire another professional that knows what he's doing or she's doing, and they'll repair that car. So in that process, we would maybe take things away from lawyers that aren't necessarily going to be really good at helping figure out what's happened with those kids, and we'll have both of them sit down with someone like Cindy at a much cheaper price and a more effective form of service to have her try to work something that works for them. So that process, I think, would offer them that potential. Now, unfortunately, it's not free, and the lawyers and Cindy, there's an expense to that. But if they're dealing with lawyers, it's probably going to be less expensive going through the collab process. So Rob, did you answer the question about what the ballpark figure is for the collaborative divorce? Pardon? Did you answer the question what the ballpark figure would be for a collaborative oh, sorry divorce? Sorry about that. It's difficult to say because it depends on the parties. My own experience is uh, if we're going to work things out, it's very typical that f three or four meetings, usually two hours in duration, get us pretty close to resolution. If it, it doesn't always work, but usually. Um, the other professionals, so you're looking for the legal, one side, the legal fees, maybe four or $5,000 roughly uh, for the f mental health professional, for a child expert, maybe another 1000 or $2,000. If there are financial issues involved, you know, H Harvey might be brought in to help deal with that depending on the complexity, and that might add some cost to that as well. So, you know, ballparking, my experience would be in the $10,000 range by the time you're done for each side, uh, which is not cheap, but it's definitely less expensive than litigation process. Uh, Terry Shillington, a question and an observation. The question is, uh, what percentage in 2018, what percentage of divorces do you think go the collaborative route? What percentage? <clears throat> it, my estimation would be low. My estimation would be, part of the reason I'm here, maybe 5%. Uh, it's not. It, it, and it's actually reduced since we started doing it in 2000, which is a concern to me. Uh, I, I've got my own opinions why, but it's, it's relatively low, and we'd like it to be yeah. higher. Well, I have an observation, and perhaps you'd care to comment on it. It would strike me that a full-blown divorce with the proper resources is for rich people. Uh, and, and what do we do about that? And I think poor people probably just go and live with somebody else and maybe 10 years later or five years later they work out the mechanics of the divorce but never got any expert uh, support. I wonder what we do about a culture in which real divorce is for rich people. And, and I appreciate that, that question, Terry. Um, in addition to being a lawyer, a collaborative lawyer, I was a bencher of the Law Society of Alberta for two terms. I'm also involved with the organization. I'm going to Windsor next week. I work with the Self-Represented Litigants Project out of the University of Windsor that deals with people that just can't afford lawyers. And what we're experiencing is, when I was with the Law Society, I was the chair of their Access to Justice Committee. And your comments are bang on. What has happened is the law has become a rich man's sport. But that doesn't mean people don't have problems. And our governments have not, and our court system has not adapted to an effective way to help people in conflict come to resolution in a way that's uh, manageable. And I think they could if they had the will, but there's not sufficient political will, in my opinion, to do that. Um, we're, we seem happy to spend a lot of money on things like uh, criminal enforcement, but the things that lead to criminal conduct 
uh, and addiction and stuff like that. We don't seem to want to put more money there to help fashion a system that's more effective. So, so I think you have a really good comment. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, basically, complete overhaul of the litigation process, which isn't happening anywhere. Uh, could I just ask a supplementary? Is that when you talk about political will, are we talking provincial law or federal law? You're talking about everybody. And, and, and I'm not being partisan about it. I, I sat down with ministers of justice federally at a meeting or dinner a couple of years ago, and I was talking to them about uh, the, the Harper Tough on Crime plan. And I used to be a card-carrying, donating conservative, and I stopped because I thought that plan was really wrong-minded. And I talked to these two gentlemen, and they said, well, the problem is we told Stephen Harper that it wasn't going to work and it was going to actually increase cost to the taxpayer. And he said, yeah, but it's really popular with my base. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, but before you see things too negatively for Stephen Harper, when the gun registry came in, we sat down with Alan Rock, and we said, this is going to be really expensive and it's not going to work. And Alan Rock said, well, that might be so, but it's really popular in Toronto and Vancouver, so we're going to do it anyway. And so the problem is, in, in, and it's worse now, in my opinion, that we've got Twitter and social media, it's really easy to motivate people to be angry about something with black and white responses to complex issues. Divorce is a complex, nuanced issue. There's no easy way to black and white that to generate votes, to generate donations. So we concentrate on things like criminal law uh, and enforcement, and we tend to diminish more nuanced, difficult things like family law and litigation. So, so uh, when I was chair of the Access to Justice Committee, I was completely frustrated with our former Alberta government, with our current Alberta government, with our federal government, with the Federation of Law Societies. There is very little collective political will to address what is a serious problem, which is people being able to find effective ways of resolving problems. Um, and one politician that I won't name, I asked him about this because I was trying to get collaborative law supported more in Alberta, and he said, well, it's not a sexy issue. And I said, what do you mean not sexy? He goes, if we support it, it won't get us votes, and if we don't support it, we won't lose votes. And that's how politics is. Okay, we're gonna move on to Carol. Okay, <clears throat> Carol Dormady. Um, in the early, mid-70s, I was um, a probation officer slash social worker before they had social work degrees um, at U of C for Calgary Family Court Services. And <clears throat> um, I don't remember the clients ever being charged in, um, for custody access reports. Like, we would be very conscientious, do a lot of interviews on both sides, you know, seeing each parents interact with the kids, talking to teachers, doctors, counselors if they were involved. It was a long, sometimes tedious uh, situation, and it was dangerous at times. Um, I remember one time being held at gunpoint by the dad who had kidnapped the oldest son, and neither parent were the greatest, and it makes me, sometimes I'm haunted what happened to all those kids, you know, because the, the, there was so much poison be going, happening between the parents, so I'm glad to know about the collaborative 
thing happening, but it's disheartening that only 5% are taking advantage. And it's disheartening about the price of things. Like, um, Do you have a question, actually, as oh, a result of that? Um, yeah, well, you, at one point, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Getting carried away. Um, um, you mentioned, like, um, kids in situations where the parents didn't get along quite often are prone to drugs, um, suicide, and are there um, good stats on on that? Like I'm, like I said, in the 70s, I'm sh in the 70s. I think the problem was maintenance. A lot of the women became very poor, and and quite often the judge would give custody to the the mother, and the guys would leave the province or the country. <laughs> So, uh, you know, uh, there, uh, quite often the women ended up on welfare. And so sure. it doesn't sound, has the situation improved a bit for kids? Knowing that, you know, decisions are made in the best interests of the kids, hopefully. But I'm yeah. rambling. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> uh, you got the question, did you? From a financial perspective, I think things are much better. We have a thing called the Child Support Guidelines, where if you're making $50,000 a year in Lethbridge, you're going to pay the exact same base amount to somebody making $50,000 a year in Grand Prairie. It's slightly different between provinces, but it's basically like income tax. You don't have to argue if you know what income is. Now, sometimes we argue about income. People are self-employed. Enforcement is easier. Every province has an enforcement program now. It's not perfect, but it doesn't cost the recipient anything. They reciprocate with most Western jurisdictions, the United States in particular, I love it when husbands move to the United States because when they don't pay, they put them in jail, right? So the district attorney's office in Montana is very quick about jailing itinerant fathers, usually fathers, unfortunately. Alberta's not quite as stringent that way, but the enforcement's better. So the financial fallout is better. Uh, way more men now, compared to 20 years ago, are very open to paying reasonable child support. It's not a major argument much anymore. So I think that financial is much better. The emotional discord, though, is, is not. And if anything, my sense is it's been worse in the last five years or so. Um, it's an odd kind of a shift, in my opinion. But uh, We received several uh, uh, written questions, so I'm going to interject with one right now. Um, so the question is, does the family therapist come into the process from the beginning, or are they called in as needed? Well, what, we, what my process is, and the lawyers aren't bound by it, there used to be just lawyers only. Most lawyers in Lethbridge now include other professionals. My process now is I have the parties meet with a counselor, we call them a coach, before they have a first meeting with the lawyers. Uh, and the coach is usually a psychologist or a counselor. Um, and the reason is I had a file a few years back where the, my client was very high functioning and so was his wife and I knew them personally. And I thought these people are perfect and they don't have any emotional baggage. And three meetings in, it was like chaos, run amok. And by the time we were trying to bring it back to order, it was almost too late. And so now my practice is I, I get people to see a counselor first mm -hmm. to find out how they're doing and to help them learn some communication tools, and then the lawyers start with some meetings. And then from there, it depends on the nature of the issues. If they have children, 
We typically, uh, unless the people are in agreement, so if everybody's happy with an arrangement regarding parenting, we may not bring Cindy in. But if they have problems, we'll bring Cindy in rather quickly. Um, in the meanwhile, what happens is people have difficulties between meetings. These meetings occur generally once a month. Well, you've got this coach, and they can phone the coach and say, well, my wife's driving me crazy, or my husband's driving me crazy. Will you phone them and tell them to stop? And the coach will phone the other person and say, what's going on? And they'll kind of help resolve these little issues and give them tools to be less combative in between meetings in a way that's way better than the lawyers and way cheaper. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how that process works in COLAP. And that, that's here in Lethbridge? Yep. Yep. Is there a pattern of that happening in other places? Yeah, I think that's uh, the one coach model is a little bit unusual. Texas uses a two coach model, one for each person. The jurisdictions are all slightly different. Mm -hmm. I haven't talked to the people in Calgary about exactly how they're doing it. I suspect they're using a two-coach model, is my understanding, and that's what they were doing in Medicine Hat. But I haven't, I haven't talked to some of the lawyers in Medicine Hat lately, but they're similar, but not but, exactly the same. So if the, if the counselor is unbeknown to them, then that person is coming in on an equal status with both of the partners, and that would be a good thing, yeah, as a yeah. former counselor. Yeah, go ahead, Larry. Thank you, I'm Larry Elford, and I have a question for Harvey. Excellent. It's a little bit of a context. If you could give us some context from a financial perspective of what kind of net worth people are we talking about that we deal with in southern Alberta that get into this. I imagine to get Harvey involved, you're talking about people who are battling over million-dollar businesses and farms and things like that, and possibly tens of millions, and I would love for you to just give us some perspective on that. And the second part of that is, as the dollar values get higher, do you see that things get more desperate or messy and, and the chance for collateral damage of the children or the children being used as pawns in that power game? Um, comment on that if you could. Well, yeah, I, I think um, for sure we're dealing typically with more higher net worth people. Uh, having said that though, I've, I've met with people that, that really don't have an awful lot of net worth and want an hour of my time just so they can understand their finances. And a lot of times it comes down to cash flow. And you know, one, one of the things that I see happen an awful lot is it's, uh, you know, may, some people may not have a lot of net worth, but when you start talking about the matrimonial home, somebody will cling on to the matrimonial home. I gotta have that. I need that house, I need that house. And they're not thinking down the road saying, well, how am I gonna pay for that house, right? And I've seen that happen an awful lot. So, yeah, uh, clearly, uh, you know, the higher net worth people, you know, sometimes it's a half a million or higher. When, when you get to the larger files, I, you know what, I, you know, the, the children part of it, it doesn't seem to be quite as much based on, on finances. I, I, in my opinion, what I've seen, that tends to be a little bit more um, dependent on the individuals involved. Do they want to bring the children in and make them part of the battle? Uh, the same thing happens with the financial side of it too, but I find in some cases the higher the net worth, uh, sometimes the better it goes because I think both parties realize what's, what's at stake. And uh, if we can come up with a solution that works for, for everybody and they can see what it looks like on a go-forward basis, as Rob has mentioned, I think that's kind of the key. Look forward, see what it is that you're, that you're going to have happen in the future. Uh, just on the previous question, I would just comment too is that I really like it when I, as a financial professional or one of the healthcare professionals, gets hired on right up front. 
That doesn't mean that we're going to be used in all cases. I mean, we charge by the hour. But I think if, if the participants know that there's somebody there, they're more likely to use us. And that might be an hour, it might be 20 hours, whatever it takes. But I do like it that if they can sign on to the original agreement, it just shows them these people are there, use them. And you know, don't call the lawyer if you don't have to. Call the person that's actually the professional in that area. Um, having worked in the Your social Your name work, first, please. Oh, Lori. Sorry, my name's Lori. Um, around 2000 or 2001 to 2006, I would say, Alberta Justice, I'm, I was aware that Alberta Justice had a mediation social worker who was trained in mediation. And uh, she or he could, would meet with the parents and uh, nego negotiate a custody um, uh, agreement that lawyers could then take, um, I guess, or work, work with down the road. Is that, are you aware if that program is still running? Uh, yeah, there, there's kind of two different things that happen. Um, if you're in uh, provincial court in particular, um, Typically, uh, there'll be uh, a mediation process using the provincial court, um, but there is a subsidized mediation program in Alberta beyond that. So if you're earning, if either of the participants are earning, I believe it's $47,000 or less, either one, then you can get into the subsidized mediation program that the government helps pay for, um, and, and so that's available. So there is some subsidized mediation uh, there's no subsidized parental assessment, but there is a subsidized mediation program. And just a, a follow-up question, and I'll be quick, is um, is, uh, is that program still ongoing then? Um, it, it's still current. Okay. It, um, it, it's ongoing, in my opinion, it's not as successful as it might be because the requirements to be in the program as a mediator are uh, uh, I think poorly considered. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a mediator, I'm not in the program because the stuff they want me to do to qualify, I've taught mediation for the Alberta government. They won't accept me as a mediator based on my qualifications as they are right now. Figure that out. So I, th I think they need to personally change their standards to get more mediators involved. Not to say the people that are there aren't good, but there could be more mediators available. Uh, and, and it's a discussion we've actually had saying, can you change things a little bit? But it's still going, and it's, I think it works reasonably well when it's appropriate, when it's available. And how Thank would you. people find out about it? <clears throat> I don't know off the top of my head. I think if you contacted the Court of Queen's Bench, they would have a referral source to you. If someone wanted to contact me, I, I double check. But off the top of my head, I don't know what the contact person is. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Hi, my name is Les Elford. I, I, just a couple comments, and, and I don't know if I'll get a question in or not. But um, I'm piggybacking a bit on, on this woman's last, last uh, questions in regard to the mediation. Um, and, 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 and in fact, a couple comments that you gentlemen have made in regard to this system. First of all, I'm going to premise this by saying that I'm glad that there is a second option other than the litigation option. But I still am having a little bit of a hard time of how the trauma is reduced in a divorce. I don't, I don't, I don't, particularly for children. 
So I'm, I'm hoping that perhaps me, you might be able to comment on that, because that, that's a hard one to answer, I think, an individual one, but I just don't see that being possible. But <clears throat> a couple of things that you guys have, have, have mentioned yourself, and Harvey, you just made a comment two minutes ago in regard to bringing them into the battle. That's your, 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 your words, right, a battle. Um, and Mr. Harvey, you've, you've made, you know, mention in regard to how lawyers are trained to beat the crap out of each other, which makes reference to a battle as well. So just a quick comment on my part is that I think it's, it's, it's unfortunate that lawyers are involved in a divorce process at all. You made reference to the litigation um, system requiring revision altogether. And, 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 and I'm hoping that is partly in reference to maybe the elimination of lawyers being involved. I'm wondering what, you're, what, you, what you think, what the likelihood of that would take place being, but there are other systems in that this woman made reference to in regard to mediation. There are healing and, and reconciliation processes with juvenile delinquents and and or, I'm sorry, that's a that's a that's an old term, I know, uh, but with uh, particularly Aboriginals and 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 or uh, juveniles that don't require any kind of court my... involvement whatsoever. So, anyways, my my my, I'll, I'll yeah. leave it at that. Okay, can you quickly summarize those questions uh, because we're just about out of time? Yeah, uh, uh, I think maybe one of the core concerns or questions you had was. Do we need lawyers at all? Do we need courts? <clears throat> and that's an excellent question. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm a little bit uh, of two opinions. In some respects, the court system is the worst place to resolve a family problem, just because it inherently was built for litigation. That's what it does. And litigation is not conducive to peace. It's just not. Um, the problem is, uh, the alternative, in my opinion, would look like something, and, and I've heard some talk about this, something that might look like workers' compensation, where you have an administrative process where the government determines how you're going to be dealt with based on their criteria and input. What would happen if they did that is that, like workers' compensation, you never have to sue your employer. So there's no lawyers, virtually. But if you're not happy, you've got to hire a lawyer to argue with WCB. My concern is I've had a ton of people unhappy with WCB and how they do things because of their limited resources and their limited skill set and adapting to nuanced problems. And so I would have some concern that, that a, a divorce administrative process or a family breakdown administrative process might have some of those issues, but at least, particularly with people that have less income, it would give them an opportunity to find a solution without having to go to court all by themselves or without spending 80% of their savings on professionals. So I think it's a worthwhile discussion. I, I think some uh, amalgamation of those two ideas might be uh, helpful, where we have support of an administrative process, but lawyers are still advising people as to how to respond. Uh, it's an interesting question. There's not a lot being done right now to address it. Manitoba is looking at that seriously, though, I know. Knut uh, is at the mic. Should we let him ask a question or not? <laughs> Hi, I know time is up. My name yes, is, uh, is Knut Peterson. <clears throat> Just a quick comment to Rob and then a question to Harvey. Uh, 
you think it's a good idea to uh, get divorced before you really hate each other? <laughs> and my question to Harvey is that uh, do you see a lot of uh, money being moved, moved around before a divorce? Because uh, there's potential, I mean, some people can move money around and so there's none left type of thing? Well, it's a great question. I, it, it, it's not that easy to move money around if you've had it in some kind of an account. Uh, our banking system is, is really solid from that standpoint. And I guess if you pull it out and, uh, and try to move it around as cash, that can be uh, one way to do it. But I mean, you know, there's restrictions on how much cash you can move around. I think the more important thing from is that making sure that, uh, you know, that, that everything has been accounted for. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that, that we've always found 100% of things, but we can usually find the majority of things. Spouses talk, and when, you know, people are doing things maybe on a cash basis when they shouldn't, and there's maybe some funds that haven't, aren't in where you would expect them to be, uh, when people are going through a divorce, that usually comes out. So I don't find that there's usually that much stuff that gets missed. Okay, great information and lots to think about and talk to your family and friends about this and let's thank the two of them, Rob and Harvey. Thank you.